Nehemiah chapter 3. <clears throat> Let's read this together. I uh, won't invite you to stand tonight because we've got a chunk here. Um, but I will invite you to engage with me as we work, read the word of God. Um, then Elisha, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, and the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of uh, Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Banah, also made repairs. Moreover, next to him, the uh, Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. <clears throat> Joida, the son of Pasia, and Meshulam, the son of Besadiah, repair, repaired the old gate, and they laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Mer- uh, Maranothite, the men of Gibeon, and of Mizpah also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, and of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumaf, made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabniah, made repairs. Malkajah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of Furnaces. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars, and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuse gate. Malkajah, son of Rechab, the official of the district, uh, of Beth Hakarim repaired the refuse gate, and he built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Shalom, the son of Kol Hosea, the official of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it and covered it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and the walls of the pool of Shelah, this king's garden, as far as the steps that ascend from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, official of half the district of Beth Zur, made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David and as far as the artificial pool in the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites carried out repairs under Rehum, the son of Benai. Next to him, Hashabiah, the official of half of the district of Kelob, carried out repairs for his district. After him, their brothers carried out repairs. Bavai, the son of Hinnadad, official of the other half of the district of Kelob. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the official of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the angle. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway the house of Elishab, uh, uh, Elishab, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the doorway of Elishab's house as far as the end of his house. After him, the priests, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashub carried out repairs in front of their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Masiah, uh, the son of Ananiah, carried out repairs beside his house. After him, Benoi, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah as far as the angle and as far as the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, made repairs in front of the angle and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king, which is by the cord of the guard. 
After him, Padiah, the son of Perosh, made repairs. The temple servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests carried out repairs, each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam and the son of Berechiah carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, in front of the inspection gate, and as far as the upper room of the corner. Between the upper room of the corner and the, uh, and the sheep gate, the goldsmith and the merchants carried out repairs. Church family, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we acknowledge that what was just read is, in fact, the word of God. And Lord, it is given to us for our teaching, our correction, our reproof, and our training in righteousness. Lord, I pray as we look at the example of those hard workers in Nehemiah chapter 3, that you would um, challenge us and encourage us to be kingdom workers. Father, where um, in this time they were repairing the, um, the shadow of the city of God, a, a picture of the city of God, where we in the New Testament get to look at the walls around uh, the city of God, the kingdom of God, the church, and see what needs repair. Lord, I pray that we would be hard at work for the sake of the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well... What we just read in the book of Nehemiah, as we said, is in fact the word of God. Even when we come to what could seem to be a somewhat dry section in the scriptures, all sorts of difficult to pronounce names, when we come to a passage like this, we are challenged in those moments to keep in mind the fact that this is indeed the word of God. The truth is, when we read passages like this, we... We sometimes do find it difficult to see how the said passage can be given uh, by inspiration of God and, and be profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped and complete, uh, thoroughly complete for every good work. We wonder how a passage like this can be said to be active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. No doubt these are times where our faith is tested. Do we really believe that all of Scripture is inspired by God? That all of it, every jot and tittle is profitable to the church. This evening we're going to take a closer look at this passage and in doing so we're actually going to discover just how marvelous and magnificent God's word is even with a text like this one. So let's take a look at these things before us. I don't have any points tonight. I'm going to, to just give you some principles that we can see from this word. And as we read the text, hopefully you, you somewhat could follow along, especially if you've been here throughout the servants so far when we look at the, the whole uh, book of Nehemiah. 
and you've seen the context here, I really pray that you were able to at least notice that there is a flow in this account, right? There's an order to this thing. It's, it's ordered. It's not just a bunch of names that's thrown in there haphazardly, but rather there's an order to it. What we're doing is we're taking a journey with Nehemiah to go counterclockwise around the wall of Jerusalem. He begins at the sheep gate, and did you notice where he ends? At the sheep gate. So there's order to this. What is that sheep gate, and why would he begin there, and why would he end there? The sheep gate, of course, is the gate that the high priest and the other priests started on. It it makes sense why they would start there, because uh, the sheep gate would have been the gate which, get get this, give you hermeneutics right here, sheep traveled through, right? That's why it's aptly named the, the sheep gate. You can probably guess what those sheep were being brought through that gate for. They were brought to the temple to be the sacrificial lambs that were going to be slaughtered in worship. So this gate likely would have been the closest gate to the temple and it would have been a gate that pertained to the work of the priests. And I find it interesting in our text that the first ones mentioned in this great work of the kingdom are in fact the priests. The priests, as you know, were the leaders in the Old Testament church. These leaders were faithful in being examples to the rest of the congregation in doing kingdom work. They needed to set the standard for doing the work of the kingdom. And as you know, Pastor Justin and I are the elders or pastors of this church. And he's not here tonight, and though I hope he listens to this, I'm going to take some time right now and preach to your pastor. Is that okay? In the same way, I believe it is our responsibility as the elders of this congregation to lead this flock by example in the work of the kingdom. Our manners of living as elders are to be exemplary to the flock. Our roles in husbands as as fathers, they are to be examples to you all. Our work ethic is to be exemplary. Not only this, but our manner of worship, our love for God, our love for our neighbor is to be done in such a way that we are faithful examples on how to conduct ourselves as God's people in all of these areas of life. See, friends, the pastors need to do more than just tell the people how they ought to live. We ought to serve them with examples of how to do that very thing as elders. Our daily lives ought to be living illustrations of the sermons that we hear and we preach from week to week. That's what we see going on with the priests there. Look at that. They not only encourage the people to take part of the work, but what do they do? They roll up their sleeves and are the ones to start the work. So we need to be the ones to do the same thing in the work of this church. Friends, if there's work to be done here, let us roll up our sleeves and lead the way in the work of of God. We're not going to take the rest of the account in the order that's written in text uh, in, in our text. Instead, we're just going to glean some points some some various observations from the account. And I really do appreciate none of you amening when I was preaching to your pastor, okay? That's encouraging. So in this passage, we are told about people coming from all kinds of different regions in uh, Judah to help in this great work of rebuilding the wall. We're also told that some people were able to work on sections of the wall that were right in front of their homes. I love this because this reminds us that no matter where we might be and where we might live in this world, 
Friends, there is always kingdom work to be done. For some of us, it it might mean having to travel to get to the place where we know the Lord is calling us to serve him. Some people are called to, to leave their countries in order to serve the Lord as missionaries. Some people are called to leave their state in order to serve the Lord in in different capacities. Some will even travel good distances in order to come and join the people of God and worship from week to week, as many of you do. Then again, some of us don't have to travel far at all, do we? Most of our church, I think, lives on Ratliff Road or on the many roads off of Ratliff Road. I I love this. We don't have to travel very far. We're kingdom work for us to do as well. Most of us have to do work right in and around the homes in which we live. We have the kingdom work of being faithful husbands and faithful wives, faithful parents, faithful children. We all have work to do in our neighborhoods. This can sometimes be as simple as being a living testimony of God's grace to your friends and neighbors. It can involve inviting your neighbors to come and sit under the preaching of the gospel. There are many ways we can advance the kingdom of Christ right in and around our homes. By the way, I just want you to think about this. What, what kind of job do you think the people did who worked on the wall that was right in front of their homes? Do, do you think they did half-hearted work? It stands to reason that the people would have worked especially hard on those sections of that wall for a couple of reasons. First of all, just think about what the wall was. The wall served as a defense against their enemies. All the people certainly had a vested interest in doing solid work, but it would have been especially true for those who were assigned the portions of the wall right in front of their homes. Certainly, you wouldn't want the wall right in front of your house to be that weak spot where your enemies entered. Another reason they would have labored faithfully would be because that would be the section of the wall they would see every day that they stepped out of their homes. Had they done shoddy work, they would have been reminded of that shoddy work every day. It would have been a thorn in their side. I don't know if you've ever found yourself doing a project in your home and you made a bad mistake that never quite was corrected and and you know that it sticks out like a sore thumb and so you don't want to see your mistakes every day. So that was another reason. But the greatest reason they would have worked diligently would have been due to the fact that they were doing the Lord's work. The Lord had commanded them to do this. They knew that this work was the work of the Lord. They knew that God had sent to them Nehemiah. They had already heard about how God had opened up all the doors and sent Nehemiah to be their leader in this particular work. They also knew that the priest had come together and consecrated this work. God was working in and among them. What else can account for this unity of purpose among all these people to come together and do this wonderful thing? It was the work of the Lord. And that's the greatest reason they would have worked diligently on this section of the wall. Well, friends, we too need to be careful to do all that we do in this life unto the Lord. There is no place for shoddy or careless work in the work of the kingdom. Whatever we've been called to do in the advancement of the kingdom of Christ, it's important for us to work with our greatest care and effort. Let us never be accused or be seen as doing half-hearted work unto the Lord when it comes to his kingdom work, or for that matter, any work we may do. 
We are to do all that we do for the glory of Christ and under Christ. Well, another thing I want to bring to your attention in the beauty of Nehemiah 3 is is the unity that existed between all of these workers. Did you notice how many different types and classes of people were mentioned in the account we read? We read about people from the noble classes. We read about people from everyday walks of life like you and me. We read about merchants and goldsmiths. We read about uh, priests and perfumers. We read about men and women doing the work. In fact, there's one instance where we read about a man doing the work on the wall with his daughters. And so we see the kingdom work can also be a family affair. Though all these people came from different walks of life, they came together with one common goal. And even though we all come from different backgrounds, even though we all have different vocations and gifts, we as the church of God, we also need to be unified in our goal. We need to be of one mind in our purpose. We need to have at the outset, in front of us at all times, the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. That's what they had, by the way. That was their, their, their goal didn't change. They wanted to advance the kingdom of God and bring glory to God. And that's the same for us in the New Testament church. They had that single purpose. They had a job to do. It was the building up of the city of God. Now we know in these days, we know that the city of God and the temple of God are the, the church of, of Jesus Christ. And we are part of that temple as we see in First Peter. We are living stones, he says, being built up. So there's, there's no longer a temple to go to or a city to build up. But rather, there is a kingdom to be built In the spiritual realm, there is a kingdom that is before us as the people of God. And that is our work. We talked about it this morning, didn't we? We need to be unified in our approach to that kingdom work. You know, it's interesting to note that within all these lists of people, we don't come across the mention of any, not one, professional builder, mason, or craftsman. Not one. Isn't that interesting? We don't have one professional. What, what's something we can learn from this? Well, we learn that being a professional is not a prerequisite to serving the Lord. Everyday people like you and me can be used of the Lord in the advancement and building up of his kingdom. One commentator cites the experience and a testimony of a man by the name of Vigo Olson. Vigo Olson is said to have helped build... 10,000 homes in the war ravaged Bangladesh in 1972. He claims that this chapter, this chapter from Nehemiah was his inspiration for that, believe it or not. Even though this chapter doesn't seem to be all that inspiring at first glance, it was quite moving for this particular man. Olson said this, he said, I was struck that no expert builders were listed in the Holy Land Brigade, as he called, as he called it. There were priests Priest helpers, goldsmiths, perfume makers, and women, but no expert builders or carpenters were named. Because that reminded and encouraged him that he didn't have to have letters after his name, nor did he have to be a professional carpenter in order to get about the Lord's business. Now, of course, ultimately, 
we know that Jesus Christ is the one who builds his church. It's his church and he builds it. But we must also remember that God has chosen in his wisdom and his sovereignty, he's chosen to use weak vessels like you and I to advance his kingdom. Why is that? Have you ever wondered that? Why does God choose to use us to advance his kingdom? Well, because he's all the more glorified by taking something as weak as you and I and doing something as powerful as building up his glorious kingdom. So every one of us has a role to fill in this work. There are none too young. There are none too old. There are none too inexperienced to work for the kingdom of God. The Lord does not require us to be professionals. He simply requires willing hearts devoted to him. That is the prerequisite. A willing heart devoted to him. So so let me ask you, are, are you willing to serve him? Are you willing to set aside those things that have hindered your service in the past? Are you willing to give those things up and say, you know... I am going to devote myself to kingdom work. I'm not going to get sidetracked by the silliness that we often get involved in in this life. Are you willing to devote yourself to Christ and to the expansion of his kingdom? Now listen, the good news about this is that we don't have to do this work alone, right? First of all, God is with us, which is the greatest comfort, isn't it? But secondly, the Lord has given us each other to have in this work. We weren't meant to do kingdom work by ourselves. There are no lone rangers in the city of God. We are a body, a collected group of people that God has called out of darkness from all different various backgrounds to come together for a common purpose and common goal. The glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. You'll note that in our text we read about so-and-so working next to so-and-so. That the people worked next to each other as they built up the, the city of God. We, so we see they were unified in purpose. They were so focused on the work that was before them that they didn't get sidetracked with scuffles and other things that tend to break up the fellowship. See, I love this. When, when you're busy doing kingdom work, we tend to not get sidetracked. Usually it's when we're laid back doing half-hearted work where we have the time to take a look around and see what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is not doing. And it's then we start to complain, start to become bitter, and so on and so forth. But often when you put your hands to the plow and just say, you know, what this is is what God has put before me, and I'm going to do it to his glory and for his kingdom's sake, you will succeed. God will bless that work. Now, this account is so filled with wonderful images and so many pictures of unity that when we come to the to co-white nobles in verse 5, I don't know if you noticed that, they stuck out like a sore thumb because of their unwillingness to join in the work. Look at verse 5 of Nehemiah 3. Only ones that do this. He says, Moreover, next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. This is a really weird phrase in the Hebrew we're going to try and break down. If you have the ESV, it probably says, their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Anybody have the ESV? Have that translation? Good. Okay. Uh, So that's an odd phrase. The phrase that's interpreted here either is not stoop to serve the Lord or not support the work of their masters. This phrase is an agricultural image 
referring to the stiff-necked ox that refuses to be yoked. That is the picture we're to glean from Nehemiah using that phrase here. And so the gist of that comment is meant to show us that these nobles were too prideful to serve the Lord by helping with the rebuilding of the wall. That work was below them. After all, they were nobles. But, you know, we need to keep in mind this, that, that not all nobles were like that. In fact, in this account, we came across a number of other people with various high positions and had great titles, other noblemen of various towns who didn't think that the work was below them, who got involved in the work and set out to do it. This goes to show us what the case currently is in the church today. There are some who are willing to work And there are others who won't get involved in certain kinds of work because they think it's below them. Friends, it also goes to show us that some people simply refuse to offer themselves to the service of the Lord. Some are willing to serve the Lord, but only in what they believe to be the more noble and exalted activities within the church. So long as they don't have to humble themselves... They're willing to serve. But church, remember, pride is the great enemy to the work of God's kingdom. Pride is what brought sin and death into this world. And pride is also a huge factor as to why some people don't do more for the cause of Christ. It's beneath them. It's below them. It is a horrible thing, by the way, To know that there is work to be done in the kingdom and for us as God's people to refuse his work. How much of a slap in the face is that to our Lord? When we come to Christ, church, we join his army. And there is no such thing as giving our commander a list of all the things we aren't willing to do. It doesn't work that way. If he's truly our commander, then pride will not be permitted to keep us from doing his will. To be a follower of Jesus means this, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow wherever he leads. It is not for the servant to ask, Lord, why would you have me to do this? Or, Lord, I don't want to do this. It is for the servant to do what the master tells him to do. Pastors and elders, electricians and nurses, dads and moms, children, we all need to be willing to roll up our sleeves and get dirty serving our God. There is no such thing as a task that's too medial for us. Listen, if Jesus, the Son of God, came down to earth and humbled himself the way he did, then who are we to put any pretense that we're above any service at all in the kingdom of God? If God came down, put on an apron, and washed the feet of his creation, what could possibly we do that is below us? Nothing that God would have us do for his glory and for his kingdom's sake is below us. Finally, the last thing I want to point out in this text is I want to point out the humility and the selflessness that we see in in Nehemiah 3. I love this because, friends, we, we see a great amount of selflessness in the love and the care from the people who came from far away to do this work. These folks, they, they were selfless in their work. Think about it. 
The wall didn't offer them any personal protection if they were coming from outside the city. It didn't offer them any personal protection. These people were coming from many miles away to do work on a wall that they wouldn't even necessarily get the benefit of. Why would they do this? They did it because they have a love for God and a love for a city. They had a love for God's people. They didn't have any selfish reasons for doing this work. It was about serving others. We know this, right? That the Christian faith is a faith that emphasizes selfless service and humility. Friends, if you join the church only to see what you can get from her, then you should reconsider what it means to belong to Jesus. Our faith is rooted in the selfless sacrifice and humiliation of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. He would have us to follow his example. Speaking of which, did you happen to notice the lack of reference to Nehemiah in this chapter? His name's not even here. Actually, his name does appear in verse 16, but it's not the same dude. It's another Nehemiah. There's a lack of reference to him here in in the chapter he wrote. By God's grace, Nehemiah, think about this, Nehemiah was the one who was gifted to pull off this remarkable feat in the span of 52 days. This account testifies to the fact this brother was gifted in the gift of administration and leadership. The order and the unity and the strategy that we see in this account, it's remarkable. They're the fruit of Nehemiah's labors. But he purposely chose not to mention himself in this honor role with faithful workers. I see that as a sign of great humility. We need to learn from that, don't we? As we saw this morning, some people do things in this life only to receive the praise of others. Pharisees were like that, right? They desired the praise of men, and Jesus told us that they got their reward in this life. They were admired and praised for their good works, their religious works and activities. But the true servant of God has no such desire. The true servant of God, like our brother Nehemiah, directs the attention away from ourselves and back to where it belongs, to God and his kingdom work. Nehemiah practiced the wisdom that's taught within God's word. I love this proverb. I came across this this week and I just highlighted it and committed it to memory. Proverbs 27.2 Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Listen to this. God is glorified when other people praise what they see in you because God is the one who gave you that gift. He's glorified in that. He gets glory when others recognize the gift that is in you. It is not for us to toot our own horns. And Nehemiah is such a good example of that. But we know the ultimate example of that, don't we? It's Christ. Nehemiah also knew that though he was used mightily of the Lord, glory belongs to God alone. We're reminded of this truth in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness and because of your truth. God is the one who is to be glorified. He is the one to receive all glory and praise for every work of kingdom, uh, for his kingdom that's done. I pray that we're mindful of that, encouraged by that tonight. My challenge to you as is, is God's church is we would Look at Nehemiah chapter 3, and it would be something that's encouraging to us. 
we would look at a church being the church, an Old Testament church, certainly, not in the the same type of way, but a shadow and picture of what it looks like. If you put this kind of church in the New Testament, and they, in the spiritual kingdom realm, did the work of God for God's glory and for the expanse of his kingdom, friends, I, I pray that you would see the same type of work ethic, the same type of desire, the same type of unity And I think that if if we're going to do what we talked about this morning, if we're going to worship out, if we're going to be evangelists, if we're going to spread the spiritual kingdom of God to the nations and do the work, then there's much we can learn from doing what those people in Nehemiah 3 did. Focusing on the work, leaving our pride at the door, unifying together, working side by side with the same purpose same goal in mind, that God would receive glory and that his kingdom would be built. I pray that's an encouragement to you and I pray you've been strengthened by the word of God tonight. Let's stand as we close in prayer.